Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to work at Sirius XM? I'll let you know soon, but until then, we'll talk about that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 102 of The Bridge. <laughs> Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America here on Wednesday, March 7th, 2018, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America Monday through Friday with a brand new show on Wednesday nights on the East Coast, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available immediately after the broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode and additional content from the show later on Wednesday night. On iTunes, under The Bridge Sports Podcast, or on my website at londonbridge.com. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text into the show 24-7 at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. J.R. Smith, what can you say? From his three-pointer celebrations to accosting someone in the drunk pizza line to asking for the pipe to getting paid maybe way too much money to be LeBron's like fourth best sidekick to not wearing a shirt to celebrate winning a championship, JR really is an NBA treasure. And last week we learned that JR was suspended by the Cleveland Cavaliers for one game. And rumors quickly spread, and understandably so, swirled as to what Mr. Smith had done now. However, no one could have predicted it would involve soup. It's time for the number one news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. Cleveland Cavaliers guard J.R. Smith is the NBA's diamond in the display case in the front window of the jewelry store. He's been the center of several controversies throughout his NBA career some of which are too serious to be made fun of in this segment. But what we can poke fun of is late-night arguments in the pizza line, discreetly asking a woman if she wants to get the pipe, and refusing to don a t-shirt while celebrating an NBA championship with the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
So when word came out that JR was handed a one-game suspension last week, just hours before the Cavs game, the possibilities for the reasoning were endless. Especially from someone who has previously been suspended for failed drug tests and untying an opposing player's shoes during a game. However, no one had soup as the culprit in the office pool. Word eventually got out that Mr. Smith earned his one-game suspension from the team when on Thursday he threw a bowl of soup at assistant coach Damon Jones during shoot-around. Questions immediately were raised. What kind of soup was worthy to throw instead of being consumed? Was it just the soup or the bowl or container along with it? Was the soup scalding hot or just warm? And where did the soup end up making contact? We needed to know. And of course, we'd probably eventually find out. JR avoided the media that Friday, but addressed the situation on Saturday, answering what further details he could provide about the incident with the ever-wise nothing, and couldn't remember what type of soup he threw. Thankfully, the Athletics' Jason Lloyd was on the case and tweeted, J.R. Smith's soup of choice? Chicken tortilla. While stupendous investigative reporting, shame on J.R. for tossing that type of soup if that was the case. In fact, that begs the question, what soup would be the best and worst to toss at enemies? Should it be chunky like a stew so they feel some shrapnel hits? Should you opt for a less thick soup like a broth and play for the scald factor of its hot temperatures? Or should you play for the smells or the stains that would follow the victims around? And should you splash the soup or throw the entire cup or bowl? Does a bread bowl have grit? The scenarios are endless, and trial and error or an episode of Mythbusters seems like the only valid solution. But one thing is for certain. The next time a player blocks a JR shot or steals the ball or gets the better of him in any way, there would only be one fitting thing to say. For you. I'm John Lund for Sports News, read like real news. Let's take a quick break to make some soup. When we come back, we'll talk to a Sirius XM producer about working in radio and the new channel he'll be helping get off the ground. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text into the bridge anytime at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail and text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of the bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text into the bridge. This week, we want to know, what is your favorite soup and why? A quick housekeeping note, as longtime listeners to the show might have noticed, in the open, The Bridge will now be aired Monday through Friday on Sports Radio America at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific. 
with new episodes airing every Wednesday, featuring the usual cavalcade of segments and an interview with a guest to headline the show. We're also in the process of working on a second show that will air on Mondays and will be more sports talk specific, and I'll have more information about that in the coming weeks. And we're about to break new information and breaking news on the bridge coming up. But first, I wasn't planning on doing this spot this week, but sometimes these types of things write themselves. It's time to highlight some of the best quotes or sound bites from the latest week in sports. Here's this week's edition of the what? What you say? Allen Iverson, a man allegedly conceived without penetrative intercourse. Yes, you can Google that. A man who became one of the greatest guards in 76ers history and in the NBA altogether. A man who may or may not have been or still is broke. A man, AI, who has given us two decades worth of highlight reel moves, memorable outfits, and glorious interviews. And because of the latter... It was no surprise that when he was put in front of a camera last night, we were afforded another one. The answer was in Charlotte to watch the Hornets host the Philadelphia 76ers, of course his former team, and was tracked down by NBC Sports Philadelphia for a courtside interview early in the third quarter. Even without the visual here, you'll still hear that Allen seemed to have enjoyed himself during halftime, and God bless Sixers sideline reporter Molly Sullivan for getting through this interview. The only reason we scored this interview is because I said you're on the other side of this camera, so thank you for that, Sue. Uh, you said you look cool with these glasses. What do you think about the 76ers and what they're showing out here on the floor? I love my guys. I love my little dudes. They my little guys. I love them. What brings you to Charlotte? I live here. Okay. I live here. I didn't know that. The more you know. Uh, you know, I was talking to you about the best Philadelphia athlete of all time. You said it wouldn't be you. In terms of where Philadelphia is headed, what, what's going to be the deal breaker for them to make some uh, noise in the playoffs? Um... I would, I would, I would, I would be crazy to say we think we need more. I think we got enough to be um, competitive, like we've always been, and um, I just think we have a, we have enough. I think it's our, it's, it's our time. But I'm gonna believe that anyway, regardless if I think we need more pieces or. You know, whatever. Like, I, I know we got the best coach in the world. We got the two greatest superstars that we need. And we got the great role players that we need. So, like, I'm I'm with it. Like, I'm 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 along for the journey. Like, I, I think we're going to do something. We all we need, right? We all we need. <laughs> all right. We all we got. Oh, there we go. Uh, Mark and Ola, back up to you. Thanks so much for the time. All right. Before coming up, stay with us. What you say? Before getting into this week's guest, an important announcement. Breaking news on the bridge. What's all the shouting? 
Some of you might have noticed that the bridge has been off for the last couple of weeks. Well, there was a reason for that, and surprisingly, it wasn't done out of laziness. On Monday, March 12th, I will officially be taking my talents to Sirius XM Satellite Radio in New York City to work as the associate producer on ACC Radio Channel 371 for the show ACC Today, weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time. This Friday, March 9th, will be my final day as sports editor for the prestigious Wyoming County Press Examiner newspaper. And as with many job changes or life changes, bittersweet elements involved. And after more than four and a half years working at that paper, I certainly have some myself. Starting with the coaches, players, parents, families, anyone really that I've been able to have the pleasure of meeting and covering in that time. The sports section is mainly focused around just three school districts, one of which is right up the street. So it was easy to get access to practices and games and basically become a beat writer for those teams. Plus, I was there long enough to watch freshmen graduate and long enough to build a repertoire with coaches to make interviews basically a breeze, whether that was after a game to preview the team, whatever was needed for the paper. Many of them were very open with their time for it. It also didn't hurt that I've covered teams and individuals who won district titles and state titles, baseball players who went on to get drafted in the MLB, and someone who happened to be an assistant coach for the Seattle Seahawks when they won the Super Bowl, unfortunately, over my Denver Broncos. So it's definitely been a fun ride, and I learned a lot through it, and I can't thank some of the coaches, parents, players, and a handful of coworkers thrown in as well enough for what they've done throughout the years and, and how much easier and better they really made the job. Oh, I'm getting the Oscars music. I'm sorry. Thank you, and good night. I guess I won't be winning that jet ski to make the joke that seemingly everyone that gave a speech on Oscars night made. So anyway, a new chapter begins for me at Sirius XM, and thankfully the bridge will be able to roll along with it, hopefully continuing to get better and better along the way. And it's only fitting that it remains since it assuredly helped me get my foot in the door of sports radio. And because of that, we'll parlay my new position with this week's guest, Tony Scarangella, who will be the producer for the ACC Today show on ACC Radio. And I guess you could say that in some sense he can be thought of as my boss. Tony has been at Sirius XM for a decade or so now, having worked his way up from an internship to running the board to then producing shows on several different channels before now moving to his next adventure with the College Conference Channels and ACC Radio, which officially launched Monday, March 5th. We won't officially begin working together until March 12th, but I thought it would be great to chat with Tony about some of what he does behind the scenes and how all that came to be before getting into the new ACC radio channel and perhaps also generating us one or two more phone calls throughout the show, Monday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern time on Channel 371 on the app as well. Plus, you'll find out his go-to karaoke song and the name of his college band and much more. You can follow Tony on Twitter. He's at Tony Skaggs. That's T-O-N-Y-S-C-A-G-S. -S. And without further ado, let's get into that interview. 
We're here with Tony Scarangella. He is the new producer for ACC Today with Chris Spatola and Jack Collinsworth. Weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Fresh Off the Press channel, ACC Radio on Sirius XM. Channel 371, maybe a little shameless promotion there. You can also find it on the app. Tony, thanks so much for joining the show. How are you? I'm great, John. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Before we get into the new channel, ACC Radio, and the new show, ACC Today, and what the college channels will be doing on Sirius XM, I wanted to get started by turning back the clocks a little bit. When did you know that you wanted to pursue radio or at least venture into the journalism TV broadcasting world? So I'll take you all the way back to, I guess it was like a job fair in 11th grade in high school, something along those lines, either like the end of 11th grade, the start of 12th grade, something like that. And uh, I was at the job fair and I was with my mom and I'm going around. I'm not really feeling any of the things that the, the area that I was most interested in at the time was uh, art and graphic design. But that was just a thing in my mind. It wasn't that I did it or that I thought I was good at it at all. I just liked it. You know, I drew as a little kid, so I liked it. But uh, other than that, I wasn't really feeling drawn to anything and nothing that I really thought I could do. And my mom mentioned to me, how about communications? And I said, what's that? And she's like, yeah, how about, you know, communications, television, radio, something like that. And at that time, I was really into Opie and Anthony. And I was not allowed to listen to Howard Stern, basically. My mom would drive me to school. No Howard Stern was allowed. Too raunchy. But when I got home, before she got back, I could put on the radio, go to the basement or whatever, and listen to Opie and Anthony, and no one be the wiser in that sense. And I was a really big fan of those guys. And at that point, it kind of clicked. Like, whoa, that's a career? That's something you could do? Um, you know, I thought those guys just, you know, had longstanding careers and obviously that, you know, they did going back to Boston and all that, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize that was something that you could pursue as a career. So that was probably the first moment uh, at that job fair that I put two and two together. Hey, I like this one aspect and you know, maybe I could do it for a living. Kids today won't know the joy of trying to sneak in watching Howard Stern at 11 p.m. at night or midnight on the entertainment channel E.T. when he had his show in its prime on television somewhat censored somewhat not and as someone who's 10 11 12 years old that was television that you couldn't take your eyes away from just because the guests that often traipse through the studio were Nice on the eyes, I guess you could say. So that led to you graduating from the New York Institute of Technology with that communications degree, the TV and the radio. And I'm sure that going through that, you did work for the college newspaper, the TV and radio stations, everything that they sort of make you go through the itinerary when you have a degree like that. I went through it and I'm sure tons of students have as well. What would you say was the biggest thing you learned from that or the biggest thing you took away from your time in college where you might have found your niche and what you wanted to do as a career? Yeah. So, uh, I went into, you know, freshman year, not really having a specific direction. Obviously I knew I liked ONA and the radio classes that I took were the most fun of everything, but you know, I was into the, the TV equipment, 
and uh, you know what went into that and the you know storyboarding films and yeah I took all those classes I, I started doing like you said the newspaper the campus newspaper a little bit um, you know in my uh, third and fourth year there I think and you know I think that as I got more comfortable in doing each of these aspects, you know, when I first got there, everything was just a rush. Wow. This is so cool. And, and you know, I, I enjoyed my time at NYIT, but I will say that when I went for orientation, they had a big news van and they were like, this is the news van. This is when you come to work at, when you come to school at NYIT, we have a, you know, LI news tonight program. And here's the news van. I found out later that that news van was actually borrowed from News 12 on Long Island and was not, in fact, the news van that you would use. I said that to a buddy of mine who was the cameraman for LI News Tonight. I was like, where do they keep that news van, by the way, that I heard about at orientation? He's like, nah, man, that's my car. That's the news van. <laughs> uh, but as my time moved along and I got to kind of experience everything else, that's when I was able to really hone in like, all right, you know what? I think I enjoy doing the radio stuff the most and it might be what I'm best at, or at least maybe I understand the concepts of it the most. And I guess if I were to look back and say that I learned something from it or to maybe give some sort of advice to my younger self or to anyone else out there, it would be to, you know, put your hand in everything, right? Just because you have a interest in one area doesn't mean that you should shut out some other area because it might be that that's the thing that kind of takes off. And to be fair, I've used elements of, you know, things I've learned in like screenwriting classes or other television production classes and incorporated them into ways, you know, to think about other projects in radio now, or just, you know, uh, my friend is doing a, you know, if he's doing an independent film, Hey, there's actually some stuff I might be able to help you with because, I tried to have my toe in a little bit of everything and, and get as much exposure to things as I could uh, when I was in college. As many people that now work at Sirius XM experienced in the early going, you started there with an internship for the Alex Bennett program and worked your way up getting your foot in the door with that before taking the next step to be hired by them as a career. Can you give a Cliff Notes version of sorts of how that internship started and how you got started with Sirius XM and some of the first responsibilities that you had with them? Sure. And, uh, you know, I'll say that the one there's one part missing from. Um, oh, yeah. Well, so the, for the internship, I, you know, this is a kind of a classic case of like, you know, who, you know, because when I was um, at NYT, my radio professor uh, had an in somehow at the, you know, newly burgeoning Sirius XM, where a couple other people that worked uh, or that went to NYT and studied under him were now working in the music. So he already had a streamline of some people going into Sirius XM. Uh, Professor Domingo, I wish I could remember his first name there, but uh, props to him for getting me my internship. Maybe this whole thing doesn't go down if I don't get my foot in the door that way. And my original you know, task was just in programming. And when I went for my first day, the woman, uh, Kathy Baruso, who still works at Sirius XM and, uh, you know, is a friend and mentor of mine. Um, she does studio bookings and payrolls and things like that and kind of the more business end. She took one look at me and realized, hey, you're trying to be in the studio. Um, I'm friends with Albert Reynoso, who was the producer for Alex Bennett at the time on uh, Sirius Left, it was called. Uh, they don't have a uh, an intern. 
and you know, I worked it out and you can do three days a week of your internship in the studio with them. So obviously I jumped at that task. Um, it was way more fun than labeling CDs to be filed away or, you know, whatever other clerical work that I was doing. Um, and when I was in there, they, they had me editing audio. I went down on the street in Times Square and tried to get some, you know, actualities and do some funny interviews. Now I learned right then and there, don't try and interview people in Times Square because you'll get very few people that speak English. There are so many tourists, so many people that are just enjoying our amazing city that when you come running up to them with a, a you know microphone that doesn't have a flag, uh, they are they might not know what's going on. So don't try and scare the fine people visiting New York City. I learned that lesson right away. Uh, they had me calling. This was uh, during George W. Bush's presidency. They had me co calling hotels in the Middle East and trying to make reservations. Uh, all kinds of just, you know, whatever mindless or dumb or silly task that the uh, the producer didn't want to do got passed down to me. But uh, I was able to kind of see what a producer does day to day and the amount of work and passion that Albert was putting into that show. Um, and he was contributing on air, doing voices. Uh, really, you know, while Alex Bennett was the star of the program, it was Albert that was making the whole thing tick. And after you end up getting hired by them, where show do you end up on and where do you sort of go from there in the early years at Sirius? Yeah, I'll back up because then actually I finished my internship and the program director says to me, hey, we want to hire you as a part-time employee. Now, I was about to go back to school to start my freshman year. And the one thing I despised most in life was going to school. I always dreamed of the day that I didn't have to do that, where I could get up and go to the place that I need to go for the day, and they'll actually give me money for it. But I knew that I needed to finish school, and when he offered me that job, I almost foolishly – and you know, don't let my mom hear this podcast uh, – I foolishly said, I have to take a pass on that. I need to finish my freshman year of school. And I'm sorry, my senior year of school. And I say that was a mistake because it took me another two years to get my foot back in the door at Sirius XM. Even with all the contacts that I did have, it wasn't until, again, Kathy Baruso, who knew Matt Deutsch, who now runs the uh, fantasy sports radio at Sirius XM and at the time was hiring board ops for play by play, uh, that she passed him my resume and he liked it enough to call me for an interview. And I was able to come in, get hired doing play-by-play, -play, essentially covering local commercials with Sirius XM commercials. And like, you know, literally you could put one of those chickens that bobs up and down and presses a button sometimes. Uh, you could put one of those at the desk and it, you might get the same results, uh, maybe even better sometimes. Uh, but I, I got my foot in the door doing that job, you know, had to cut my teeth at that for like a year and a half until they finally trusted me enough to move me into a studio and let uh, let my budding, button pressing fingers press more buttons. I know of you from way back in the Evans and Phillips in the morning days. Now the morning men, Phillips is doing his own thing with MLB radio. Steve Phillips, for those that don't know, former GM of the Mets. I'm sure he'll appreciate that because I'm sure he's listening to someone that he has no idea about. But well, he might, he might be listening because I'm on this episode. And I like to say that from that time, uh, Steve Phillips is uh, one of my best friends. Now, maybe we don't see each other at all, but 
I always will get a happy birthday or a Merry Christmas or a happy Easter text from him. Uh, you know, when, uh, and I'm, we'll talk about this later. I've moved, moved channels a couple times at Sirius XM and he's always reached out to me and wanted to make sure that I was good and that things were okay with me. So, and I went to his 50th birthday party and, you know, did amazing karaoke. So that's my guy, Steve Phillips. Perfect. Well, hello, Steve. Thank you for listening to The Bridge. <laughs> Is that the first show that you started with, or was there a step before getting up with them? So when I transitioned from doing pl sports play-by-play -play to the studio, uh, they moved me to NFL radio at first, doing late hits with uh, Nick Costos, who, of course, is now on CBS uh, Sports Radio, uh, Sports Network and CBSSports.com, doing a, an amazing job. Um, I was... Uh, you know, a fill-in part-time board op for the nighttime NFL radio show. Uh, from there, you know, Mad Dog and Fantasy Sports Radio were going on. They needed fill-in guys, and I, I was doing that board opping. Uh, a couple years of that until I was finally able to start producing shows. Uh, and I would say, I forget the exact year. Sometime around like nine years ago or so, I got hired full-time by SiriusXM, which I put in, you know, a few years of being a part-timer there. And it that was tough to see, you know, other people get uh, that promotion from part time to full time. And you kind of wonder, when is your shot? But I've been a believer for a long time that the cream rises and that eventually that the people that need to see that the work that you're doing, they'll see it if you are really doing it. And I was given a shot then uh, they they eventually it was my turn and they made me a full time producer. And at the time I was doing like weekend mornings on Mad Dog Sports Radio with Bill Leckis and Andrew Bogish, who's now also on CBS Radio. And then the board op for Evan and Phillips was moving on, and that role opened up for me. Was it hard for you to transition into the sports radio aspect of things? I know you played sports in high school and are obviously familiar with sports in general, but starting in comedy and listening to comedy radio and, as you mentioned, cutting your teeth in that world a little bit at your start, was that something that you wanted to pursue or were you more than happy to now enter into the sports world with all those opportunities? Yeah, you know what? If you would have asked me back when I was at NYT, uh, you know, what kind of radio would you be doing? Or, you know, do you ever think that you'd be doing sports radio? The, the answer to that would probably be no. Uh, I'm pretty surprised looking back at to the, the area of it that I, that I landed in. But um, there were people in there that saw, you know, an ability in me on the radio side of it. And, you know, you can, and I've been a fan of sports. And like you said, I played and, you know, I watch and I keep up, but there's a different level of fandom or, you know, research to do to be a producer or certainly even more so to be a host on uh, sports talk radio. Uh, so it was a little bit of an adjustment, but I got to give Evan Cohen the biggest credit for that because I think um, working on that show and seeing the amount of work that he puts in and the way that he thinks about sports and sports radio and developing a topic and thinking of the right questions to ask. Uh, I would really say that, you know, working with him specifically uh, on Evan and Phillips in the morning was really what made me understand how to do sports radio. Because at the time, yeah, I was just trying to book the, you know, the most uh, relevant beat writer that made sense for the topic that we were doing. And after that, I remember I was working a show with a host uh, I was producing for him and he asked me, so, you know, 
what do you want to talk about tonight? And I don't have a good answer for that. I wasn't sure what we should be talking about tonight. Uh, but thankfully, after working with Evan and seeing how to do it, uh, you know, I learned pretty quick, I think, and developed, uh, you know, a better strategy for attacking some of these things. And it's interesting about that show, Evan and Phillips in the morning, as it evolved, so too did the feel of the show and the characteristics of the show and what they wanted to put out on radio, which is almost a combination of sports and comedy. And that still stands true now with the show as the morning men with Evan Cohen and Mike Babchek still on board for that, doing the show as a one, two combination with Andrew Goldberg on the ones and twos, I guess is the radio term for that, but (laughs) they still keep that fun sports talk show mentality. And really I've told this to them. You don't find that really on the dial in sports radio where they can find humor in things and talk about pop culture while also intertwining sports with it. And it's not just that day to day, here's what happened in this game. Here's our thoughts on it. We're going to get into an argumentative debate and then we're going to talk to somebody else and scream at them as well. And that show came to really get that as the years went on. And you wouldn't think that Steve Phillips would be a guy that would get a show like that, but it seemed to evolve and really develop into what it is now. But the roots of that are several years ago when you were part of that show. Is there a main takeaway or maybe a best story that you have from your time there? As you mentioned, learning the ropes from Evan Cohen and just learning the ropes in general, but it had to be a pretty fun atmosphere to get to go to work every day. Oh, definitely. And, you know, it was a morning show starting at 6 a.m. So I would wake up at my uh, parents' house on Long Island at like, you know, three o'clock in the morning, 3.30 if I was pushing it, four o'clock if I decided I was going to drive in that day, which, you know, towards the end there, I was doing probably more than I should have because, uh, you know, those early mornings take a toll out of you. But once I got into the shower every day, I considered that the hardest part of what I had to do. And then the rest of my day was super fun, right? Going to work with those guys, you know, even though if you listen to Morning Men, Babchick himself is a character. And I will tell you that that character is really who he is as a person. He is 100% the dude that you hear on the radio, whether it's talking smack about his wife or, you know, saying the funniest thing that you've heard. And sometimes those two things, uh, you know, overlap a little bit like a Venn diagram. But he, uh, you know, it was always an enjoyable experience. I would say, though, maybe my best memory from that, uh, I love doing remotes because they remind me of doing college radio. It reminds me of, you know, getting all the gear together, going down to the student union or whatever, and setting it up and broadcasting from Mayfair or from whatever event going on. Uh, you know, we're hosting the Halloween party. Um, and we did a Evan and Phillips in the morning, in the evening at Bonefish Grill, and right before the show started, a bunch of salespeople from SiriusXM showed up, and I was, at the time, writing one of Babchick's updates, as I would, and salespeople are coming in, and I'm shaking their hands, and randomly, one of the girls in the line comes to give me a big hug. You know, I don't know who she is. She didn't even know who I was, but we both got caught in, like, a mid-handshake, and it ended up being a hug. Uh, and Evan was totally 
freaked out by it or not, he was startled. He's like, what is this? Why are you hugging each other? Do you guys don't know each other? What is this? What's happening right now? And this was literally right before the show started. So that's essentially how we started that broadcast of Evan and Phillips in the morning at Bonefish Grill was Evan wondering why this uh, attractive young woman from sales decided to give me a hug uh, before her boyfriend showed up. And uh, then I got to eat a bunch of delicious bang bang shrimp. So that would probably be one of my best memories. You never know what the topics are going to be on the show. Still to this day, whatever's happening in the world, whatever Babchek gets himself into makes for great radio and a great listen. That's the thing, man. Yeah, that's like the like essence of kind of some of the stuff that they do. And the, the thought process going into that is, hey, man, like, you know, what is it that everyone is talking about? Right. Like, you know, the Oscars are not a sports topic. But everyone knows at least a little bit about something about what happened, whether they were watching sports all weekend or not. Um, and, you know, most people that are listening to the sports radio are probably not just watching sports all weekend. Um, so to be able to yeah, mix those two things in, figure out what the water cooler conversation is going to be outside of just breaking down a game and, you know, make it fun and interesting. Those guys do a great job of that. This was a remote that you got to be a fan of or a guest of, and it wasn't with Evan and Phillips in the morning, but the morning men introduced Falcon a couple years ago, a listener event that was held at legends. I believe the first year where listeners from as far as Canada, far and wide for whatever reason got in this one bar to pay homage in a sense to the morning men listen to a two hour live show get to interact with the fans and just have a really great night i was there you were there we didn't know each other at the time so we didn't get to say hello but do you have a tale from that night because i have one and i don't really necessarily have to throw it out if it's not as good as yours so i guess you can go first Okay, well, I was uh, in the uh, upstairs VIP section most of the night. I was uh, I was not trying to mix it up with the fouls, which is as great as you guys are, the rowdy bunch sometimes, the fouls. Uh, so I was happy to be getting my free drinks and little hors d'oeuvres up in the Sirius XM area. And Goldberg is running around, you know, doing stuff. Babchick obviously is down with the crowd and up. Evan's hosting the show. He's talking about the Miami Heat. And then um, they come up to myself and or Babchick comes up to myself and Eric Fenton, who at the time was the guy that uh, I replaced on Evan and Phillips in the morning, who had moved on to Sirius XM NFL radio at the time. And basically he said, hey, guys, like, why don't you get up on the mic in the next segment and rip me? This is Babchek talking to me and Evan, uh, talking to me and Eric, you know, hey, yeah, yeah, you know, you guys used to to work with me. And now, like, why don't you guys go talk oh, what that's like? Because there's a uh, long running bit in the offices of Sirius XM and uh, probably because it's not a bit that you only have a shelf life to be able to work with Mike Babchik on the other side of the glass. Right. So the producer alongside Babchik, there's a shelf life you're going to hit at some point. Andrew, you know, is is plugging away he th he's outlasted myself and Eric Fenton at this point but uh you know who knows when when that last Babchick straw is uh is drawn um and you know everyone's got a friend like that that is uh is great to kind of hang around but sometimes you need to you know Heisman him away a little bit and get some space um so Eric and I ready to hop on the mic and do our best to uh to rip Babchick of which we both have a ton of material 
And in Baptic fashion, uh, we get about three words out and he hijacks the entire thing, starts talking to fouls down on the bottom. And that was it for Eric and I on the, on the mic at Falcon. Yeah, I don't remember that segment. So that does make sense <laughs> that he hijacked that. There you go. <laughs> Typical. Exactly. I don't think we have enough time for you to give what you would have that night if you did have the microphone. I guess that'll have to be for another podcast. The roast. Yeah, no, I actually, I think I, I, I think I need to start a podcast for that topic. <laughs> I'll start putting the feelers out to see how many guests will come <laughs> and drop by to get in line for that. Do you miss at least writing the parody songs that you both put together throughout the years? Some of them that are still played on the air today. Yeah, you know, I I, I rip Babchick, but it, it is it is out of like, you know, love and respect ultimately because that guy when once you turn on the mic, like he's got it. He understands what's going on. He, he was really good, um, you know, at being compelling and interesting. And and making those songs was an area of freedom that we had on that show that you don't get a lot in sports radio. And I really did relish being able to do that. Yeah, that that was fantastic. Now Babchick himself is a terrible singer. And a, even a maybe a worse songwriter at times. So I had to take the lead in some of that. But there we would be doing songs, John, and I would literally be having to count him like I was a orchestra conductor, giving him a one, two, three, four, just to stay on beat, like I was the front of the the marching band or something. And it maybe took a lot of takes or a lot of rewrites and edits. Um, but I think that we had some some good product and some funny stuff and some stuff that still lives on today. Some things haven't changed. His pitch and his tempo, they, they remain the same. So your tutelage has to come back, I guess you could say. Well, I, I think he might he might even have people better at editing and, you know, writing and doing all that now than I was. So, maybe uh, you know, if those songs have gotten even better, uh, I wouldn't be surprised. But I would say it's probably not because of Babchick. What was the opportunity that next came up for you to move on within Sirius XM? Was that Bleacher Report Radio and, and moving on with that crew? Yeah, exactly. I, um, I had an opportunity to do Bleacher Report Radio when it was just a show on one of the random number channels at Sirius XM that we had at the time. I think it was called Sports Zone or something. It was just an amalgamation of other stuff. It, was, it wasn't really, you know, it didn't have a direction, but they put on uh, Bleach Report Radio on that one channel, and it was a show, three-hour show with Taylor Zarzer, who now hosts in the morning on ESPNU. We did that show for maybe about six months uh, before the actual launch of the full Bleach Report Radio. Now, at that time, that's when uh, Taylor moved on to do stuff on PGA Tour Radio, and, and at the time, it was College Sports Nation, now it's ESPNU, uh, and Nicole Zalumis and Rick Buecher and Kirk Morrison brought in rick uh you know had a little delay in getting actually you know uh fully hired from wherever he was to Sirius. so it was uh nicole and kirk morrison for uh, about you know a, f a few months four months or so and then it was with nicole and rick uh for the next three years right that then evolved into what became left coast live on mad dog sports radio when the channel moved its schedule around a little bit and bumped up some shows and brought in some new shows and you became the producer for their show and got to interact with them throughout the show, which I 
sometimes think is fun for hosts to do include their producer once in a while in the conversations that you're probably having on a daily basis off air anyway it does add some fun once those conversations are brought on air and does allow the listeners to join in by calling or just by nodding their head or disagreeing with what's being said i'm sure by the time you took over that show, this question was already answered. But was there a point for you when you first realized or you had finally come to find your radio voice or maybe the confidence to get behind the microphone and voice your opinion or tell a joke or really become comfortable with what this radio life ends up becoming? Yeah, you know, I'll go back to doing the Bleach Report radio show with Taylor Zarzer because that was a three-hour show on a, um, you know, kind of hard-to-find channel. We didn't get very many calls, and Taylor was awesome about having me be a part of the show. And, you know, luckily, I knew my role, which maybe a lot of people uh, in my position wouldn't or, you know, would try to stretch that boundary, but I knew how much Taylor needed from me. So I would get to a point, we'd have a back and forth, but I know that my job was to give him a soundbite, not to fully go on a tirade about something unless, you know, we, you know, it really called for it, but mostly, you know, I need to kind of just give him something to rat-a-tat-tat off of. Um, so it was with him during those six months uh, where I was given a lot of freedom to be on the air. You know, I was on the air with Evan and Phillips, but it was far more regular. And plus, at that point, I was the fourth voice, right? And I really, like, my role needed to be very minimal. Um, but with Taylor, I was able to kind of uh, expand that, find that voice a little bit more. And he gave me the the freedom and really, you know, he, we wanted to build segments where, you know, I was, you know, throwing questions at him. And, and I was fully a part of that show. And it was really a test all around for me because I was also working uh, solo in the studio, you know, running a board that I was less familiar with because it was different than the one that we were using on Evan and Phillips and on Mad Dog at the time. And out of a system, you know, an audio system that was also different than the one we were using. So I had a lot of challenges in front of me to try to pull the show together. And I was able to do all that and contribute on the air in a meaningful way. And I guess at that point, I really knew that I could do this at the lead producer level. As was teased at the beginning of our interview, you are now the producer for ACC Today on the new ACC radio channel 371 on Sirius XM, which presents more new challenges. Now having to learn a new system or at least get familiarized with one and get familiarized with the two hosts, Chris Patola and Jack Collinsworth, and build a show from scratch, which in a sense is a great opportunity and could be a lot of fun just being able to start something from the ground up, especially on a platform like Sirius XM. Was the position something that you sought or were you sought after for it? Or how have you viewed what you're doing now currently for ACC Radio over a course of, at this recording, two days? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I got to like, you know, I'll say this. Everyone's got to make choices in their professional career, right? You're presented opportunities, different things come up, uh, whether it's, you know, oh, you know, move across the country for something or as simple as, you know, changing, you know, your office space or something like that. Um, you know, much like when I was given the opportunity to leave Evan and Phillips and go to Bleach Report Radio, uh, 
as much as I loved working with those guys, it just seemed like the right move for me at the time. And same thing with this move to ACC radio. Now, um, you know, it, as much as I love Nicole and Rick and they'll always be really close to me. And, and I'm the time working with them was a lot of fun. This was an opportunity that presented itself and was something that I needed to take. I needed an, a new challenge. I needed, you know, an area of growth, uh, do something a little different, get outside of my comfort zone. You know, I've been doing that show with Nicole and Rick for, for three years. And yeah, I, I wanted to, to be able to know that I could do, you know, I've, I hadn't worked at that time on a, on one of the niche channels at Sirius XM of which we have a lot of fantastic ones and to be a part of something fresh and new and start from the ground up, which like I had done with Bleach Report Radio, um, I had confidence that I could make the move and, you know, be successful at it. And, and, and not only that, but maybe more so be okay with it, right? Like, you know, know that even though I'm leaving something that I like and something that I'm good at, that maybe there are also other opportunities for me. Have I done well enough so far to make you not regret having me as your associate producer next week? I mean, we'll see what happens when you start pressing stuff on the board. That's a good point. The pod is fine. Yes, I've enjoyed this a great deal, but I'll make that determination in a few weeks. Yeah, the buttons I'm pressing and and fading and the mixer that I have in my childhood bedroom, I don't really think compares to the boards at Sirius XM. So (laughs) we'll, we'll update the listeners in a few weeks, whatever show that may be, how things are going. So I wanted to close with a couple quick hitting questions for you that are somewhat related to what we've talked about and some new ones as well. It's a segment called Easier Pass that's not copyrighted and no one really remembers that I have it, but I throw it out anyway to give people some sort of excitement like I know what I'm doing. So the first one is putting everything in perspective. Do you have any regret that your career as a service supervisor at the movie theater didn't pan out? (laughs) No, because I got a ton of free movies and giant bags of popcorn at the time. And they were well worth it for those uh, Friday and Saturday night parties. I showed up and became the hero of with a giant garbage bag full of popcorn. Yeah. People don't realize the perks of that part of the movie business where you can just go to the movies when you're not on the clock, obviously, or catch one when you are. So yeah. Now I'll say that unfortunately it made, it's made me now want to go to the movies less that I have to pay in full. Because I don't know anyone that works there anymore. And it took me about three years to get back into popcorn. But safe to say that, uh, you know, I found my love of, uh, of buttery popcorn again. You were in a band called Like a Death. How would you describe your bass playing abilities or your abilities as a bass player? <laughs> uh, poor to average but I was the only one in the band that had friends that would come see us. So I was able to uh, turn that into a permanent role. Uh, wow, man, you know what? I, I got to figure out where uh, if, if you're sitting outside my house and seeing the stuff that I throw away in the garbage because you did a great deep dive to find out about Like a Death. Yeah, I was in a band from college uh, till about, you know, two or three years ago. I think we, we got about 10 years in, nine or 10 years. And it was a... a a lot of fun just playing with my buddies and it was never a thing where we were trying to make it anything more than it was we just wanted to have fun drink beers play kind of heavy music and you know enjoy each other's company and thankfully that never made it uh anything more than it was and and we were able to 
avoid any band drama or shit like that. And we actually just had uh, like a mini impromptu reunion rehearsal the other day. So who knows what's in the works for Like a Death. Yeah, clearly this is all just sucking up to you before my first day. So when I screw everything <laughs> up, I won't get yelled at as much. So that's really well, then, all this is. <laughs> then let me amend my answer to the other question and say that, uh, yes, you're doing a fantastic job as my uh, executive, uh, my associate producer so far. All right, we're going to save that, cut that out, and <laughs> save it for later just in case we need it. So I have to ask this as well. On my Twitter bio, I am a self-proclaimed semi-retired karaokeist. Uh, the days of doing that weekly from college have unfortunately passed by, and there's not many weekends around where you're able to go to those karaoke bars that are throughout New York City, which lead to sometimes great nights, sometimes questionable ones. But the question is what your go-to karaoke song is. So I like to open with, uh, Smooth by Carlos Santana and Rob Thomas, just because it is a song that I've done a ton of times and it gets my vocal cords warmed up a bit, right? Plus, I know it well enough to throw little ad libs and some dance moves in there. So I would probably say that that is my go-to song, Smooth, Santana and Rob Thomas. That's a fantastic call, and I wish Rob Thomas plays that at every one of his shows. Sometimes it's not <laughs> on the itinerary, but... And you know what, man? Tune. It still bangs at the karaoke bar, too. People love it when you bust it out. I don't know how the bass is for that, but Carlos Santana can just <laughs> drown you out if there's a trouble for that side of the instrument. So I don't think I don't think you need a bass when Carlos Santana's playing. You're 100% correct. That's a law. <laughs> I've, I've, I, I read that on, uh, on uh, NYC.gov. What is your best Halloween costume? I was Alan from The Hangover a few years uh, I guess maybe just a year after that first movie came out, I had got the, the big beard and I cut it down a little bit and made it like uh, scraggly and uneven. I got a baby Bjorn. I bought a baby Bjorn uh, with the intent of returning it. Um, I got a, uh, a little baby doll from a friend of mine. I got the shades. I bandaged up my arm, I, uh, my hand. I took my, uh, you know, worker bag, my messenger bag uh, with me. And that was my greatest Halloween costume. The only problem with that costume is that they made two more of those movies and were complete, like, you know, redundant. Uh, and it kind of ruined that costume. I could never be Alan from The Hangover again because of Hangover 2 and 3. Yeah, you're going to have to wait a while to, like, polish off the dust and bring that back that's like 20 years down the road because of those sequels that's a shame and kids exactly. aren't even going to know who that is who's that weird man with that child yeah see that was the one thing if you get a you have a big beard big crazy beard and you're carrying a fake baby in a baby bjorn other you know crazies in new york city are going to want to interact with you so i had to you know be a little careful in the subway but that was about it your first concert and or first album the first concert I ever went to was with my stepdad. We saw Counting Crows and Live at the Jones Beach Amphitheater. I did Mr. Jones at karaoke just this past weekend, which is probably why my voice still sounds a little raspy. And my first album was um, Thriller, Michael Jackson. The last one is 
a children's game or board game that you would definitely win if we were to play it? Ooh. See, I was an only child. I had a ton of board games and never really got to play them because unless I was playing them by myself, but I'll flip it on you and tell you that the walking dead board game that I have, uh, I will dominate you at because I'm the only one that knows all the dumb, intricate rules of it. And as I mentioned to you off air, I stopped watching it season three. So I would have to abstain from playing because it would not be fair. It's cool. It's cool. It only goes through season two. You got real young Carl on there. Andrea has uh, got a good power up card. So yeah, we rest we, in we, peace. We... Rest in peace. <laughs> <laughs> You're making some listeners saddened by that. Hey, no spoilers. No spoilers. And the last one, who's going to win the ACC tournament? Duke. It's an easy guess. Me too. Duke. <laughs> <laughs> Tony, it has been a pleasure getting to learn more about what you've done as far as a career and how you got into radio and the different paths that you've taken to get to where you are today with ACC Radio. I am very much looking forward to getting to learn from your wise watch as I get my feet wet with the boards and all that is Sirius XM and their channels but am looking forward to the opportunity and now we'll at least have some things to talk about in the studio by ourselves in that very small room when someone might be talking about a topic of ACC that we don't know as much about while we're studying through our notes to figure it out. So (laughs) we can talk Walking Dead, we can talk music, we've got all sorts of things now to keep us busy, but I do appreciate you coming on. It was great catching up with you here for the first time to quote Steve Torrey of Mad Dog Sports Radio. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Yeah, it was great. I really appreciate you having me on. You know, you've uh, done a great job with this podcast. You've had some of the you know biggest names in media uh, come on here. And now you can add me to the very, very bottom of that list. Thanks again to Tony for coming on the show. We'll close out the show with another installment of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Joe Burris. Joe and I have been teammates on the basketball court, sports editors for our college newspaper that is no longer in literal print and hosts for the prestigious John and Joe Sports Show, which was once found on 99.5 WUSR Scranton and the Royal Television Network. Joe usually sees more movies in a year than the 52 weeks within it, so he holds the reins here, but don't worry, there aren't any plot spoilers, so you'll still be able to see these films just with a better understanding of what will be in store if you do so along with Joe's final rating of the film compared to something or someone in the sports world. This week, Joe will break down The Commuter, which Rotten Tomatoes describes debut, in this action-packed thriller. Liam Neeson is Michael, for about an insurance salesman whose only commute home quickly picture, becomes anything actor, but routine after being confronted by a mysterious stranger. So much Michael is blackmailed into finding the, the identity of a passenger on his train before the last stop. As he works against the clock to solve the puzzle, Michael is unwittingly caught up in criminal conspiracy that carries life and death stakes for himself and his fellow passengers. You can find Joe on Twitter. He's at Duke Mish. That's D-U-K-E-M-I-C-H. You can also read his movie reviews, previews, and ratings at cupofdashjoe.com. Again, that's cup of dash or hyphen or whatever you'd like to call it, joe.com. Get your popcorn ready. Here's this week's edition of Five Minutes in the Film Room with Joe Burris.
What's up, everybody? I'm Joe Barice, and this is Five Minutes in the Film Room. I don't know who it's for. I don't know what you want. If you are looking for quality, I can assure you I do not have it. But what I do have is a very particular genre of films. Films that have spanned over nine years. Films that have been a nightmare for critics. If you listen to this review now, that'll be the end of it. I will not look for you. I will not pursue you. But if you don't, I will look for you. I will find you. And I will inform you. The Commuter is the latest in a nine-year genre of action movies starring Liam Neeson. The movies aren't actually connected in any way, except obviously for the Taken trilogy and Clash of the Titans films. Neeson kicked off his career resurgence with 2009's Taken, which was a surprise hit. The January release that made $226 million worldwide sparked 12 more films where Neeson was the leading action star. In order of their release, they are Taken, Clash of the Titans, The A-Team, Unknown, The Grey, Wrath of the Titans, Battleship, Taken 2, Nonstop, A Walk Among the Tombstones, Taken 3, Run All Night, and The Commuter. Whew. There are a few good ones, some entertaining flicks, but ultimately the quality lacks. So where would the final chapter fall on the list of the Liam Neeson genre? Let's go to the tape. The Commuter has an interesting enough premise. Neeson's character is tasked with finding a person on a train who doesn't belong. If he succeeds, he ends up with $100,000. But everything goes south as he figures out this offer isn't a hoax and suddenly everyone's lives on the plane is in jeopardy. It also has some solid star power with Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson, Sam Neill, and Jonathan Banks, so the setup for at least a decent film is there. Unfortunately, it dips too much into the silliness of a non-stop, but I did find myself enjoying the film at times. The action sequences on the train actually aren't that bad, and that's impressive considering Neeson is 65 years old. The scenes aren't choppy, and this is a big plus because it took Taken 3 13 cuts just for Neeson to hop a fence. One fence. 13 cuts. Look it up on YouTube. It's just as hilarious as it sounds. Neeson is solid as always, and he's able to handle the physicality well. These movies are beneath him because he's an incredible actor, but he still never phones it in. The Commuter also does a nice job introducing the audience to the characters on the train as Neeson investigates. Also, as Neeson goes back and forth on the train, it shows us the layout of the train, which is important. Building the world properly helps the audience, even if it's just a few train cars. Problem is, we've seen this movie before. This is non-stop. This is unknown. There's a reason for that, as the director is the same for all of them. I don't understand why this mystery-slash-thriller-slash-action film keeps being made by the same director starring the same man. They finally got it sort of right, but it's too late. This kind of film was popular in the beginning of Neeson's run. The commuter suffers because it doesn't fit into 2018. Our fun action comes in the form of Fast and Furious films, and our quality action is more along the lines of John Wick. The question I asked myself after watching the lackluster trailer was, why is this happening? And after seeing it, I still don't understand why it was made. It did make three times its budget worldwide, so maybe people are still interested. I just don't care. My favorite film by the director is The Shallows, and even that is half of a good movie. 
His movies are ultimately forgettable and The Commuter will be forgotten too. What we will remember is Neeson's nine-year run in general. In college, my friends, including your host John Lund and I, liked Taken so much that we named our intramural basketball team the Liam Neesons. The names on the back of our jerseys were the characters he has played throughout his career. All ten of us even went to see Clash of the Titans together because of the great trailer of Neeson belting out, RELEASE THE KRAKEN! And Taken wasn't just a game-changer for us. It was a big film that pushed Neeson into the action genre. And some films do have their merits. Taken is good, The Grey is surprisingly great, and A Walk Among the Tombstones shines by creating grittier action for Neeson. However, The Commuter is just another Neeson action film audiences will forget. I bet by this point, you already forgot I was reviewing it. The bottom line, The Commuter is fine. It's better than some of the similar films Neeson has done over the past nine years, but it lacks the quality and entertainment value of the upper echelon of the Neeson genre. It'll be forgotten in a month, but Neeson's impact on the film industry for a nine-year stretch will live forever. I'll compare The Commuter to Adam Morrison. An excellent college basketball player for Gonzaga, Morrison never amounted to anything in the pros. He mostly sat the bench. As a Laker fan, I liked that we had Morrison, but he ultimately contributed nothing. He did, however, win two championships as a member of a much more memorable Kobe-led Laker team. Sexy. Check! Good. Uh, check, please. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Wednesday night. And also be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. You can also find The Bridge on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and tune in. And can listen to a brand new show on Wednesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern Time by searching for Sports Radio America on TuneIn. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll dabble in the NBA, dive into Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the National Football League, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Oh,